0: Welcome to Beauty as a Birthright, a podcast where we decode the evolving concept of beauty from a multi dimensional lens. In this space, we embark on a journey with engaging guests from all walks of life to figure out if beauty is a birthright, then what's our legacy? So let's get
1: started. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Beauty as a Birthright podcast. Today, Tamsin and I are super excited to welcome our guest, Francesca Isaac who is the co-owner of Alma Acupuncture based in Philadelphia. She identifies as a multicultural Black and Puerto Rican, daughter of immigrant parents from the U.S. Virgin Islands, and a passionate plant lover. Welcome, Francesca. Thank you.
0: I love that intro. (laughs) We just uh, (laughs) dissected your bio, so (laughs) yeah. Well, I also wanted to add, like, someone who I have such a big crush on. Me too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh!
0: I didn't want to make it creepy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What were you saying, Francesca? I said you guys are both so amazing. I both like follow you guys on Instagram, Mm -hmm. see everything you post. I love everything you guys do. So I'm I'm a big fan of both
1: of you. Oh, thank you. So the first question is, what is the most beautiful thing about you today?
2: Oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um today, that is. I mean, I guess that I'm I'm growing a baby, right? So that's. I feel like maybe that's mm-hmm. that's. The thing that I feel is most beautiful today and right now. Yeah. Uh, that is such a good answer. <laughs> that's
1: that's that. kind of like that's like a mic drop. It's like, well, mm, just growing a baby. <laughs> like pretty much that. Um <laughs> that's the end of this episode. Thanks for having me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you for sharing that. And then um sorry to go back, but back to that initial question about growing up as a multicultural child and how this impacted the way that you understood and now understand beauty.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's such a, um, such a, like, deep question. There's, like, so many, so many ways I can take that, Um, like, or, like, talk about it. Um, So my, both of my parents are from the Virgin Islands, and one is from St. Thomas, the other is from St. Croix. Um, My dad is black afro-caribbean and my mom is puerto rican and um growing up in a household like that it was definitely we had um like our just our cultural values were so different than um most families and most kids in the u.s my parents were more strict they had different like guidelines for us. And I think as a kid, you just wanna fit in with everything. Mm-hmm. So you kind of push your identity to the side. Um, growing up being, I always kind of identified just as black for a really long time because when people look at me, they're like, oh, you're just black, you just look black. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and it would, it would would it's very interesting going in stores with my mom. She's a very fair, like very light-skinned Puerto Rican woman um so definitely I was feeling like or like all of my family and my cousins you know there's definitely a broad range of skin colors when it comes to um Puerto Ricans but in our family I mean it can range from anything but I found that you know wanting to identify like you know I'm both you know mm-hmm. and then for a while it was just like I, I don't even care like yeah I'm just black like oh and then if like people get into it then I'm like Oh yeah. Yeah. My mom is Puerto Rican, but it's, it's just, I feel like it's so comp. I can talk, I can go everywhere with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, what about specifically as that relates
1: to beauty and kind of like yeah. the standards in Puerto Rican culture standards in the U S Virgin islands, and then being seen and identifying for a long period of time as just black and, you know, that aspect of it.
2: Yeah. So I feel like as, Growing up, I also went to private school most of my life. So I think if anything, that probably shaped a lot of my beauty standards. So I went to predominantly white schools up until I was in ninth grade. And then growing up with, you know, very fair skin, Puerto Rican cousins or my mom or even my sister, who's like much lighter than me, um, I remember wanting to be lighter I remember like one day like taking a shower and being like I wish I was like lighter lighter skin um because that was like the the thing that was beautiful or the thing that was the most around me um at the time especially going to a private school where I mean maybe there were I want to say it wasn't like I was the only black person there but we were definitely the minority. So maybe like six to eight black people in the class, if I'm like remembering correctly, mm-hmm. like up until eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And so um, my beauty standard kind of went against, like I was telling somebody the other day that it's interesting because until I got to 10th grade, where I went to a more diverse school, um, I'd always be like, oh, I'm not pretty. Like nobody likes me. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not beautiful. Like who would have a crush on me? And then I went to 10th grade and like guys had a crush on me. And I'd be like, what? Like you have a crush on me? You like me? And then as I got older, I realized, you know, I went to predominantly white school and everything kind of shifted and I was like, oh, I am attractive. Like, oh, people do like me. So, and how, how much that like set a tone for my, uh, what I thought was beautiful or what, what I thought people would think about me in terms of beauty and not even thinking like, you know, you are pretty, like you are, you are beautiful. Like it doesn't, you know, it, it was the craziest thing. I think that really impacted me for a really long time. Um culturally, within my family I felt the same way um like oh if I was lighter skinned if I had like if my hair was different like hair is a big be- big thing right in our culture and I felt like oh if my hair was only straighter then I would be pretty like mm. so were you all told these things-
0: that were you told that you were beautiful growing up by your family no
2: so like something- you know yeah. no our family wasn't like we weren't very uh affectionate or like there wasn't like a very positive home or it was like you were told these like really nice things
1: mm-hmm. so
2: I I do it for my daughter like I, I I think it's very important that she hears that I think that she's beautiful or you know oh that what you did today was was a great I always tried to like be that positive voice because I know as you get older Like your parents' voice becomes like the dominant voice in some of your (laughs) decision-making. Like I want it to be good things.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah.
0: You know what your conversation, you're explaining like what your childhood was like and then going to school reminds me of our last episode, I think, or a couple episodes we did with Amrit Singh. Um, She's based in Canada. And she talked a lot about high school, how she also in school, she didn't grow up being considered the beautiful person and she's Southeast Asian. So colorism is a big thing. And, um, and then all of a sudden she got into high school and like, she just learned how to do makeup and hair. And all of a sudden all the boys had crushes on her and she was considered beautiful. And so I think it's interesting. Cause I think back on my childhood too, it's like, I feel like that's when at least I don't want to say for everyone, but I can hear it. Like that's when boys start and Angie mentioned this too like boys start paying attention to you that's the moment that you feel like oh I'm beautiful I'm pretty and I, I think it's like it says so much about our society that like mm-hmm. that's the first thing that's our realization that we're beautiful and then as adult women like we go through a whole adulthood trying to be like I don't need a man to tell me I'm beautiful I'm beautiful on my own and so it's this weird like it's it's just interesting like I maybe because I'm in this phase of my life where I'm like I don't need another person especially another man to tell me that I'm beautiful I'm trying to figure out what this
2: feels like for myself Mm -hmm. oh yeah well I mean I agree with that too (laughs) before before I met my husband like I went through like this phase because I had to like really um like appreciate my self-worth first yes and on all levels, like, you know, beauty physically, internally, like what I have to offer, not just like offer like I'm bringing, but like what I bring to this world, not like, oh, what I bring to this man. <laughs> um, and when I became really grounded in that, then I was like, oh, like, I don't, I don't really need anybody. Like I would, I would like to find someone that I can share my life with but if I don't meet them I'm good like so and then I met my husband So Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's always it yeah exactly that's kind of how it works
1: right
0: (laughs) yeah well I wanted I want to know more about um being raised in black and Puerto Rican culture first of all I love St. Thomas it's like one of my favorite places in the world because of the people in St. Thomas like it's so different than the other Virgin Islands, I feel like. And yeah. people are so warm and like really polite in that old school politeness. Like everyone says, good afternoon, good morning. Yes. <laughs> I had to learn that when I was in St. Thomas, my friends. Like, you gotta say good afternoon to everyone. I'm like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You gotta say it when we go get our
2: curry. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yep. it's okay I took my my husband and his family there for the first time last year and I was like okay when when we're walking people will say good morning it's like don't be rude like you need to speak (laughs) (laughs) and um and so
0: but but okay so um your dad's black your mom's Puerto Rican but they grew up in the U.S. Virgin Island which is like a whole different culture and then moved to the U.S. and so with these different cultures um are there beauty standards or beauty rituals Well, you talked a little about colorism and hair is a big thing, but are there beauty rituals that you grew up with growing up from these two cultures that.
2: Yeah. I feel like in in terms of like beauty rituals, I don't really remember any. And I think maybe that was more. um, Shaped by my mom who Mm -hmm. I think she had her own like beauty rituals. Like when we were going out, like she would like, I guess I would say if now that you say that, I guess like jewelry is one, like I find that like people like to adorn themselves in jewelry, like especially gold. Um, And so her big thing was like, she would like get ready and put on her makeup, but she would always have her jewelry. Like she would always have her gold and her rings. And like, you know, she got this from this, you know her grandmother or she had this from her mom and she holds on and values. Like, you know, earrings and rings and necklaces and, till this day, she's the same. Um, And I do think there's a little bit of that um, that comes culturally from the islands. I don't know if I necessarily would say she had a specific ritual other than, like, those are the things that she held dear dear to her. I was, like, a little bit of a rebel. So anything that had to do with, like, what you want me to do, I was (laughs) like, uh, no. (laughs) So, so I think I did go through a phase where like I was really into like gold jewelry and, um, you know, getting my nails done like my mom. And I think colorism is a big thing in Black and Puerto Rican communities. Like mm-hmm. the lighter you are, the straighter your hair is, the more attractive you are. Um, and I'm glad to see more things on social media and just in the media that is breaking down that stigma that you have to be light and black or light and Puerto Rican and have a certain hair texture to be beautiful. Um, But that was really a struggle because especially at the time that we grew up, you only see the same light-skinned Puerto Rican person on TV or like, right the same or like on shows it's like light skin black women um so now that it's like we're embracing like all shapes and sizes and colors it's really nice to be able to embrace like who you are and not feel like you have to fit into this image of what a black person looks like or what a Puerto Rican person looks like when it comes to hair and skin texture
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and even like products I keep thinking like growing up I think that was the biggest thing with me it's like I couldn't find foundation that worked or like eyeliner that worked and like I didn't use any sort of Asian products because a lot of them had whitening creams and, I, oh. and my natural skin tone just doesn't look good that pale and white you know compared to my hair and it's an and even like sunscreen something so simple like sunscreen you couldn't find sunscreen that had like a tint to it so like you would just put it on and it's just it's just white skin <laughs>
2: We've got to like rub it mm-hmm. in and you, you're rubbing forever. Like you're literally rubbing forever to get the white to like it's really literally the fact that like there's um black girl sunscreen and I feel like it's fairly new still. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you telling me that like it why did it take so long for somebody? Right. <laughs> I'm so thankful that they came up with the sunscreen that, you know, you don't have to rub in for 30 minutes to to blend in, so that you don't have white streaks on your face. But it's like, I feel like those things are so simple and it's just so sad. It really makes me angry though, because I'm just like, you know, the, it's like the discrimination and the, the implications that there are people with various like there aren't people with various skin textures. Everything doesn't work for everyone. So it's just frustrating, but I'm glad that we're like breaking away from that now.
1: Yes. I saw this video of a former Sephora employee who was like mocking one of her corporate meetings when she worked there. And it was really disgusting how they like intentionally would put products for black people or like highly pigmented skin types in like a certain area of the store as like kind of like a weird type of segregation and the way that they talked about it and like the price point of it and they were like in the meeting they would say things like oh but I don't know this product's a little expensive for that community and she did like a role play mock-up before she like right after she left Sephora and she's like this is how disgusting some of these meetings are
0: and it comes off sorry what's that no no sorry go on
1: no, I mean, like the way that she was uh, at reenacting it, It they sound in the meeting so like PC and like thoughtful, but there's that like underlying okay. racism that's really and classism that like they throw in together. That's awful. Um, anyway, I just thought of that when we were talking about how it's been like it's taken forever still has a ways to go but thankfully there are more brands coming out with like a much wider range of shades it and- just goes
0: to show you like like that's just like white supremacy right it's just like in they think that we don't need to develop these products because these people are not going to buy them right but it only took one person to like th- think like i'm just going to make this right and then realizing that this is like an untapped massive market right (laughs) no I think about it in the world like how many people are skinny thin white blonde hair not that many right like naturally either and think about all these untapped market that like we're desperate to buy things and I think it it says a lot where it's uh, I don't know it's like consumerism it's like you need money and power to get these products in and then and and then hopefully like change the system but yeah I don't know it's like I I I went to Sephora the other day and it's like Rihanna's product is like right in the front and like when I looked at her shades I was like oh my god there's so many shades like so like even from one to the next it's just like literally a couple shades like so subtle but that subtleness is like what you're looking for in a really good foundation
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and I loved, um, I think, was it her? Was it her Fenty line that you could pick on the website? You can pick photos of people that look like you.
0: Oh, really? To yeah, help you
1: figure out the shade. Oh, why do it take so long? <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, this makes it so much easier. Um, I wouldn't like, have been wearing blue mascara all through middle school. <laughs> I know. <don't> like. <laughs> Okay, but okay, Francesca, I, like, I want to shift back to when we started, you know, you were talking about how most children and this is true, want to fit in. And even though you came from a really unique background of multicultural cultures, you did still feel that tendency to want to fit in. However, there was a point where things shifted and you began to feel really proud of your heritage and where you came from. And I want to hear when that was, if you remember what exactly it was. I know you talk about changing from thinking you weren't attractive and people wouldn't have a crush on you to then later in high school realizing, no, you are those things. Is that when that took place or was this a different time in your life?
2: I feel like it was later on, um, maybe like when I got to college, I started to you know, I think maybe when I was younger, I felt like I had to choose one. Like you have to, or it's the same thing with like checking boxes, right? When you go somewhere like, oh, you have to check. And it's like, no, I don't have to choose one. And although, you know, people may just assume, or I think part of it was like, I didn't feel like explaining, like, because sometimes people have this idea about you when they see you. And then I was just like, I don't want to put the energy into explaining, you know, my background. Um, so I would just choose one to be like, let's just end the, end the conversation there. But then when I really, I think when I got to college, when I really did start to have more pride in my upbringing and just my culture and uh, just come in to my own and have more confidence, then I would just be like, yeah, this is this is what it is.
0: Do you identify... Now, as an adult woman, I'm always curious, people who grow up in a multicultural, like, um, family, do you identify with one culture more so than the other? Or do you identify, like, we had a guest, Kyle Yoshioka, who identifies as, their word is extremely biracial. And we talked a lot about this, like, biracial and multicultural Paige is biracial, she's multicultural. So I'm wondering, do you identify with a certain culture or do you identify as this like mesh of different cultures that, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I feel like I identify, you know, as multicultural and especially, so we grew, like we grew up in New Jersey and all of my parents' family were still in the Virgin Islands. Um, so we would make a lot of trips back to the Virgin Islands. And then um, the cl- I feel like the closest family members were on my mom's side. And also we saw them the most. Um, so she had a few step-siblings in Philadelphia, um, where I now live. And so we would see them the most and then Even when we would go to the Virgin Islands, my mom has a much bigger family, like it's so big. So growing up as a kid, I actually felt more Puerto Rican because I had like, you know, even though I didn't feel like I looked Puerto Rican according to what, you know, the culture and standards of the media says Puerto Rican is on like movies and TV. But I felt more Puerto Rican because, you know, I was around my mom's family that was really large. Everybody was speaking Spanish. Like my mom was very fluent in Spanish. Um, everybody pretty much is fluent. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm Puerto Rican. But then it's so weird. Cause then when people would see me, they'd be like, you're, oh, aren't you black? And then I'd be like, well, and then I would start explaining to them. And then after a while I would just be like, yeah, I'm black. <laughs> and then they, would, <laughs> then they would meet my family and they'd be like, oh, your mom. Or they would pick up on my parents' accent. They have like an island accent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, well, where, where's your family from? Because they don't sound like they're from here. Um, because people have I, a preconceived notion
0: of Black people too. Yeah. They just assume Black people are either Black Americans or come from Africa. They forget yes. like Black people exist yeah. in the islands, in Puerto Rico, like in India. Yeah. You know, it's a different
2: yeah. culture too. I definitely think it's um, like preconceived notions of like, Oh, if you're black, you're just from, you're just from the States. Like your family's just from here. Like there's no lineage. There's no history. You're just Mm -hmm. black and you're from here. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's like also like an ignorant mentality, but I definitely feel like it's like a popular one where people just think like, Oh, it just stops here. Like you don't have any history or You couldn't possibly be from, you know, just say like you know, country like Brazil, you know, where there are, you know, black, you know, black Brazilians. So I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. And maybe it is truly ignorance in the in the the word where like they just don't know, you know, so they truly don't know. So they have these ideas of what they expect from someone.
0: Yeah. You see that with Asians too, like. Asians are everywhere, like Asians are on St. Thomas, like there's a big Asian population there. And then you in South America, a lot of Asians immigrate, a lot of Koreans immigrated to South America. So like, I've got friends who have like born and raised in Argentina with Argentinian last names. And like, you forget that like people exist everywhere.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so many too. I mean, there is always a joke that's like, you can find a Chinese restaurant anywhere you go Um, because it's really all corners of the world that Asian people find themselves to. Well, you
0: kind of mentioned this, um, Francesca, um, about your daughter and how you've been raising your daughter in terms of sharing about beauty. And so I'm curious to know, how do you consciously raise her to help her understand And relate to her own beauty because she's still young right like how old is she she's six Ah. (laughs)
2: yeah you know it's it's like interesting to watch because um she went to like a a semi-mixed like preschool for like two
0: years I gotta ask you guys questions about that because my nephew just started pre-k and it's that's not my child but
2: yeah (laughs) yeah and and I remember, I can't remember what she said, but I knew a few times like she kind of like implied that like she wanted to be like a different skin color. And I was like, no, this is not Mm -hmm. happening again. Cause I remember having the same feeling and it's such a horrible feeling to have thinking that you need to look different um, to be beautiful or to fit in. And um, I love the school that she went to. I just think that, you know, like it was, it was really different shades and it was a Spanish like immersion school. So it was really like different cultures, but I think that maybe she felt like, oh, and I don't know what she was thinking. I mean, I'm probably looking into it way more, (laughs) but you know, I was thinking maybe she's like, oh, like I'm, you know, one of the browner or darker kids at this school. Maybe I'd fit in more if I was a little lighter, So like, it gave me the opportunity to really talk to her about like skin color, even like talk to her about hair because, you know, her hair is also like a different texture than mine and a different texture than a lot of kids she goes to school with. And this is, I think, an ongoing conversation that I have with her about her hair. And I constantly tell her like, no, your hair is beautiful. Like she has very thick hair. Like the curls are very, very tight and coily. Um it's just a different way to care for your hair than other, than other, you know, other Black people that go to her school now, um, different than me. And I told her, you know, like you can be the same shade as somebody and still have a different hair texture and have to take care of your hair differently. So Mm -hmm. having those conversations on a six-year-old level. I was going to say, how do you say that? Like, how do you
0: how do you like, talk really about this? this? Yeah, such a young Just age. letting her
2: know, like, it's okay to be different. Like, mm-hmm. your hair is beautiful. Your hair doesn't have to look like, you know, your friend who also could be Black that has a different hair texture than you. Like, you're different. And it's okay to be different. And you're unique. And, you know, I just try to tell her positive things. Like, when I wash her hair, like, look how long your hair is. Because there's a lot of shrinkage in her hair. So when it's dry, it looks so short. The minute we wash it, it's like halfway down her back. And so I try to remind Mm -hmm. her, like, your hair is different. Your skin texture is different. There are different shades. There's so many different people. Just reminding her that beauty looks different for everyone. Um, But it's it's interesting that it starts so early. Like, I'm like, who is thinking about, but I guess, you know, I guess you do (laughs)
1: like,
2: you can't protect them. Yeah.
1: Like you even said
0: you, she went to a pretty multicultural school, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, Paige, do you have a son? Do you, do you have to talk about this with a boy?
1: So when we were living in the Bay area and that's where all of his schooling was, we would talk about it. I mean, actually his, so our neighborhood was predominantly white, but his school which was getting closer to Oakland than where we were living. Uh, we put him in a different school that was closer to my clinic. It was actually really diverse. And so that part of it was really nice. But he would pick up on different things. Like he'd come home. He had He's uh, close friends with a Black student classmate. And he was like, oh, his hair smells like coconut. He would just come home and say, his hair smells like coconut. And because he's new coconut, because of course, we're from Hawaii. So we like have coconut products. We're not putting it in our hair, though. So I had seen, so, you know, that was an opportunity for me to talk to him and just tell him that, like, the way that he's having to condition it, or keep it moisturized, etc. And he like, actually loved it, like, because it just smells so good. And he noticed that, like, that his friend smelled good. And then the kids didn't have like a scent per se. So that was like a cute thing. So Like in those years, it seemed like all his, all the things he noticed were what I would say cute. And they did give opportunities for me to talk to him. Like another student who was, um, white, pure white, got a really bad burn one day. So I could talk to him about that. Um, but he himself, at least not to my knowledge to suffer discrimination at his school. He doesn't like question his beauty. Well, so now that we're in Hawaii, it's like 80% Asian here, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's changing with the pandemic. A lot of people are are having to leave and a lot of people are coming in. But um, so, yeah, now that he's definitely the majority, like how I grew up, he hasn't been questioning much at all. He does think he looks like my dad, who's blonde hair and blue eyed, because they have like similar dimpling and markings. Oh, um so it's just cute because like my my dad, I don't know, like the other day someone's like, he was like uh, his friend said my dad looked like a rooster. I'm like, yeah, like that. that's pretty accurate. But anyway, so um, so it's just cute. The whole thing for now for me is is like I'm just calling cute. And then if things come up, I try my best to talk about it. But seems like his experience has been fine.
0: My so my nephews are biracial one looks more Asian than the other. And so it's, it's like, I try to, I don't know, it like it not concerns me, but it's like how the world perceives you is going to be very different. How people treat you are going to be very different because one looks more Asian. One looks, doesn't even look biracial. I'm just like, you know, people are going to just look at you and look, see an Asian person. <laughs> and like, have these conversations, especially with all this anti-Asian violence. And my older nephew just started preschool and he's the only person of color. And he does, he looks more biracial, but all the kids are blonde hair and blue eyed, like not even a brunette, like not even a redhead kid, <laughs> They're all blonde hair and blue eye. And that was a, a shock to me. Cause it's like, I was wondering like is it, can is he making friends? Like, does he eat lunch alone? Like, are they treating him? Okay. And he has a bully. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't stand this bully. (laughs) And I'm like, is he treating him? Is he bullying him because he looks kind of Asian. And so like, I'm like, this is the reason why I can't have children because I would just be worrying so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like, um, I think growing up with cousins who are biracial, it's like kind of what you said, Francesca, they grew up with my more of my dad's family, which were all Korean. And so even though they were biracial because they grew up with our family, they really related themselves to being more Korean, even though they really looked white, like, you know, and so they still even identified when I had conversation with them as adults, I'm like, did you see yourself white or Korean? They're like, well, I saw myself Korean, even though I look white, because we just grew up in our family. We were closer. The side of the family was much closer. But I don't know. I hope like, I think, I think having raising daughters and sons, I wonder like these topics about beauty and appearance, if they're different and, mm-hmm. and like, you know, just thinking like how hard it was growing up as a girl.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I will say though, once my in-laws did t- 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 tell my, t- told my son that he was too dark and he was mm-hmm. like, is it bad to be dark? And I was like, Oh no, no. <laughs> like conversation big conversation here uh I I talked to my in-laws and they're they're very they were embarrassed they didn't they're generational they're from Asia it's so ingrained in them um but they got it and it was not an issue after that with them and then I had to like talk to him and like put the fires out I'm like oh no my gosh um but Francesca does do things land with your daughter do you feel like when you have these conversations she's really comprehending it taking it to heart and integrating it into her own like six-year-old reality?
2: I think so. I think sometimes I may have to like repeat it once or twice. And then, I mean, like at that age, right, They're still like, oh, everything you say is like the right thing. And uh, we love everything. Like, you know, there's, they still adore you so much. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess it's different when they're teenagers, I'm sure, but, <laughs> um, so I definitely think that um, it does. It might take, you know, one or two times for me telling her and then I don't have to say it again. Um, and that's also depending on, like, what, what happens at school, too. Like, you know, is it coming up again? Um, and I, th- I think that just me regularly giving her that foundation will help her, like, navigate through life so that she has a strong confidence in what she looks like, and her individuality, um, which I didn't really have. I feel like when your parents are, like, immigrating somewhere, and they're working hard, and they're doing all of the things to provide, and hope that you also, like, do better than them. I found that they didn't have time to, like, think about that, or worry about that stuff they didn't, they're like whatever like look we need you to like go to college and get a good job and do all the things to have a better life mm-hmm. so that yeah
0: yeah that immigrant life or the when you're a child of immigrant it's like you're just little, literally <laughs> just trying to take care of yourself and like raise yourself
2: yeah it's like it's different it's a little like I feel like I'm hoping that I can do a more like well-rounded job of like bringing in some of the things that maybe I like missed as a kid Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to like you know affection and being like loving and positive and then yeah it's great to like have a good job and have a good you know career and but also like what are the other things that like bring you joy and that you know also like bring beauty to your life not just you know some of the grinding you got to do this to do well here type thing Mm -hmm.
1: that's yeah so your daughter's so lucky because you really are taking in all of the things that you learned the parts that you felt like were maybe lacking that you could have really did well hearing such as you're beautiful or the lessons that you're um speaking to her on as things come up at school so that's really great and then you have another
2: one you'll be on the way (laughs) yeah a
0: boy right
2: yeah so I'm having a boy and so okay so it brings up also I have no idea what it's going to be like raising a boy because most of my family members most of my cousins are girls also and like you know I have a sister and so I'm like I don't know um When when
0: is your kid being born?
2: We got to figure out the animal. So Mm
0: -hmm. like Leo, astrologically speaking, and then a tiger. Yes.
2: Oh, so fierce. Oh my (laughs) god, so bold. Fierceness, because my daughter is like a firecracker, okay? She is like... (laughs) (laughs) She's a monkey, right? I think so. I think we talked about it. She's a monkey. She's an Aries. (laughs) She is like fire okay she's just like <laughs> my husband was saying today earlier he was like you know your daughter never like she never gives it straight so my husband is not her biological dad so um she calls him dad and everything but what did, what did he say he's like you know she never gives like a yes or no answer she's always like well I'll tell you, but like, you know, there's always like a point she has to make. And even with me, like it gets so frustrating. I'll be like, I was telling her yesterday something and she's like, well, I don't know if I'm like, oh my gosh, can you please just listen? Like, I just need, I just
0: need you to say yes. Like, I love this as a monkey. I love this. We Uh, would just be going back and forth.
2: (laughs) Oh my gosh you uh, I don't know you might want to send her home or you might just really love her energy you might just be like hey Francesca come get your child because I'm tired tired now like I'm tired so if you're saying that my next child is going to be really feisty I'm just going to take all the naps now because (laughs) I'm gonna need it Yeah. yeah. I mean, having
0: two nephews is wild. Cause I've babysat like my whole life. And I used to babysit like three little boys when I was like 12 years old too. And it's just like, bo- and I grew up with boys, but having little boys in your family, I mean, it's, <laughs> we always joke. We're like, what would it be like if we had a granddaughter <laughs> like a- or like a her niece? Cause it would be so chill. I mean, they're wild, but they, they're rambunctious. And like, I love that energy about them. Like they're just Yeah.
1: it's (laughs) So shifting gears a little bit, Francesca, um, Tamsin and I are slowly starting to understand how body is also incorporated into Mm -hmm. beauty. Previously, we're really, we're just like, of course, beauty within is obviously something that we recognize and we're the most interested in, but we still would kind of isolate like face and beauty. Um, but now through talking with guests, we're really getting better at bringing the body equation into it. So this kind of brings me to my next question with your Crohn's disease, which Mm -hmm. you're open about, you've shared about on social media, of course, with this disease comes a lot of fluctuations in weight and the relationship you'll have with your body, depending on if there's a flare up or if there's, you know, a time that you're more in harmony, so, I want to hear about how Crohn's has impacted your beauty story, whether it's really influenced your body image and the relationship you have with your body, um, and what else you've learned from having this yeah. can you explain
0: what Crohn's is for people who don't know what the what it is?
2: Yeah, so Crohn's is a inflammatory bowel disease, very different from i b s um, and you know, there's so many different, there's, I think, mild, moderate, and severe Crohn's. And um, I actually have severe Crohn's, which I feel like I'm still partially in denial about it. But after the year I just had, I don't think I can really deny it the way that I was before. Um, But um, pretty much, it's, it's an autoimmune disease. And there are different factors in your immune system where I feel like, and this is probably not the most medical definition, is, you know, your body is like eating away at your intestines, in my opinion, is how it's felt for me. Um, So there's, you know, crazy inflammation in your intestines. It comes with You can have it in so many different places throughout your intestine, whether it be small, large, and it's different for everyone where it's located, Um, the different levels, and also what you experience, like your symptoms. Um, So there's a range of symptoms and severity. And it, I mean, it's definitely when it comes to, I'll go back to what you were saying, Paige, um, when it comes to physical, I, I'm like, where do I start? (laughs) So pretty much I grew up really thin. Like I was, you know, a size zero to four. That was like the range I was in Mm -hmm. up until maybe like the second or third year of college. Then like, I went from like a six to eight. So like, then I stayed in that range where I was like a size six or size eight. Is that
0: when you were diagnosed with Crohn's
2: around that time? No, it's like, it wasn't until after I had my daughter that I was diagnosed. Mm. So then when, like around, after I graduated college, I noticed that all of a sudden there was a shift and it became really hard to like maintain my like size six, eight shape and Nothing drastic had changed, and I remember intuitively feeling like I must have something immune going on under really, like that that was always in the back of my mind because I'm like, why all of a sudden is it so hard to maintain my weight? I'm like working so hard and um then so then fast forward, I had my daughter and I breastfed her for literally two years, like two years to her birthday and I got sick during that, um, right leading up to her birthday. Cause it was the day of her birthday party and I couldn't eat. Like I literally couldn't eat anything. And I had like lost a bunch of weight. Now by that time I had like my weight fluctuated. It goes up and down all the time. It is that way now. I feel like it'll be like that forever. Um, and I just stopped cold turkey because then I like, I had the diagnosis of Crohn's and they put me on steroids and I didn't want to breastfeed. First of all, I was like done. Like, okay, good. I don't have to (laughs) breastfeed anymore, but also like, I don't want to introduce her to this medicine in my breast milk. So I've literally struggled with my weight. And I think this past year and a half has been even harder because again, like I was, so just to be like, straight up like I was like 205 I'm 5'3 and I remember like being like I must be I must be like heading into a flare or something because I notice I gain a lot of weight before a flare and then all of a sudden rapidly like lose and so if you look at my closet today I have like this is just from the last year I have size two. I have size four. I have size. I have so many different sizes because I lost. I went from like two oh five to one forty, like within a six month span, and, you know, it was it's so interesting because everybody would be like, "Oh my god, you look so good." I was just gonna gonna ask you that. How are people's yeah. And I would be like, you know, and for me, I'm just like, you know, the joking side of me is like taking it all in because I'm like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I have been trying to get to this weight naturally on my own for years, ever since like I gained weight. I'm like, and here I am the sickest I've ever been in and out of the hospital, like had to have a major surgery where part of my intestines are removed and I can't, I can barely eat. I can barely move some days. Like literally walk, like going up the steps, Like I would have to go get my daughter or something going up the steps. I would look at the steps and be like, Oh my God, like it looks so exhausting to just do just to go up the steps. Like something as simple as walking was so hard because like my insides were like burning up inside. Um, so having people come up to me and be like, Oh my gosh, you look, you look amazing. And I'd be like, thanks. And they're like, well, what are you doing? I was like, well, I have Crohn, so, you know, sometimes I can't eat, <laughs> and I was, like, no big deal, though, like, my you know? insides are eating itself, <laughs> seriously, you know, I, I wasn't really trying to make anybody feel bad, but I'm, like, how do I have this awkward conversation, and let people know that, like, you know, I'm not on any special diet, because some people would, like, go into it, like, are you wanna like, are you, do-? and I was, like, actually, no, I'm just, like, been sick lately, or, you know, depending on how I felt that day, and then they'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you never know. Like somebody can be doing a great diet that's working well, but somebody can be really sick and having the hardest time. Um, also my skin cleared up like the most too in that time. Like I had the, like the, the glowing skin, but I'm like, yeah. Cause I wasn't eating like, any right. food. Were you like, feeling the- good about yourself? Like were you
0: feeling beautiful because your skin was glowing you were skinny and like people were complimenting or were you yeah
2: yeah I think on the days where I felt functional and I had a good day I was just like I think for me I tried to like embrace the good days so if I had a good day and I felt good I was like well I'm gonna take this as the benefit for all of this stuff right now it was Mm -hmm. like the spin on how horrible I had been feeling I've been like Let me just enjoy wearing this small dress and, you know, act like everything's okay. Um, So like, I feel like that's what I would do to kind of cope, but I felt so horrible. Like I wasn't like, it didn't matter to me really. I just wanted to feel better.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: It's so wild. I, I mean, like I wasn't sick, but I was in this really abusive relationship. And I had lost a ton of weight, which is so unusual because when I'm stressed, I eat. I'm like a eater. So to not eat and, and I don't even know how, I mean, I was eating. It's not like I lost my appetite because I love food, (laughs) but like weight was just dropping so quickly. And people would say the same thing, like, oh my God, you look great. Even like people, like strangers, like on the street. And I love validation because I'm a monkey. I didn't receive validation growing up. So please gas me up and tell me (laughs) I look cute. (laughs) But in that time, it felt strange because on the inside, I felt dead. I was like spiritually just trying to like get up every morning and just get through life and like pick up the pieces from this like toxic relationship And so I look back on those pictures and we're all Chinese medicine practitioners. Right. And we look at Shen, we can feel Shen. Right. And so when I look at those pictures, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm dead inside. Like I look cute on the outside. But if you look at my eyes, if anybody like an acupuncturist just looked at me, you know, you would see nothing. It was just like,
2: yeah, spirit,
1: not here. Mm
2: hmm.
1: Yeah, I wonder because Francesca, that glowingness, do you feel like that was just because there was a massive detox? I think that, so. Yeah. I wonder though, like, like the eyes. Was there clarity in the eyes? Was it also really like clear? Or was it kind of what Tamsin's saying? Like nobody's this
0: page is like a No, like
1: this case study. <laughs> I
0: definitely felt like
2: there was there was like clarity. Like I definitely felt like I was glowing. And I mean, I even look at pictures, I would say like the day, so with Crohn's, like you can have a day where you feel great and you feel like yourself. And so when I felt great and I felt like myself, like, like you said, it's like this massive detox, right? So like literally I wouldn't say, so it was October where my flare started. I didn't have surgery until April. So from October to April, I was on no medication and I was just like detoxing. I couldn't eat anything really my staples were like eggs eggs were like the things that didn't hurt and for everybody it's different when you have Crohn's you have different trigger foods Mm -hmm. for me like eggs were safe for me so it was like the thing that I ate the most of but like I didn't have sugar I would drink these shakes that had like all vitamins so I can make sure that I'm not really deficient in like minerals like essential vitamins and minerals that you need And I think it was like the detox of everything, like my skin looked great, but also like on the good days, because I felt so horrible, like my spirit was just so thankful to have a good day that like, I think that, um, like the shen in my eyes was still like really bright. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you saw me on a bad day, it would be different. Right. (laughs) Right. But does having um, an
0: autoimmune disease feel, make you feel more connected to your body or more disconnected?
2: It makes me feel um, more connected, but also like it's a struggle because it's like I feel connected, but then at the same time, I feel out of control too. In a sense, like where like I'm the type of person that like likes to like know everything that's happening and have some sort of control. Um, it helped me to also like dive into like things that. Maybe I haven't thought of in a while, like, okay, I've always wanted to be this size again, but here I am, but not this way. Like, I didn't want to have to be this sick to get there. And I think when people were commenting on my beauty and, like, oh, like you look so great, like you look the best. And I just kept thinking, like, yeah, maybe if it happened the way that I wanted it to. And it also gave me a perspective of, like, You can't just, it's the same assumptions. Like you can't just assume that somebody has lost all this weight weight, and they've done it the healthy way or Mm -hmm. that things are going well for them. And that's why they're here at this weight because we put these ideas like, oh, if you're larger or if, you know, you weigh this size, then you're not happy or you're not healthy or you're not, you know, it's all these negative connotations with this. So when you get to a certain size and people think like, oh, this is the ideal. This is where you should be. Even like going to the doctor with like BMI, like, yeah, it's a wonderful story. It's just like, oh, you're, you must be feeling great. Like your life must be good. Everything must be lined up. But here I am like going in and out, like in the worst pain ever. Like I can't even describe the pain for Mm -hmm. you other than like, I would just lay in my bed and not move. and there's no pain medication that would even help the pain. I read on Facebook in like one of the Crohn's groups, and it was like, somebody wrote, how do you how do you deal how do you deal with pain when, you know, you can't take medicine or then nothing is working? And somebody wrote something like really funny, like, the the tears of my soul like because it's literally like and I just cracked that because I'm like yeah like it's that bad like Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do other than like you know like cry about it and what are you gonna do but it just goes back to say like you can't make assumptions about somebody's weight or physical appearance and attach it to good beautiful great Love and life, you have no idea like
1: what's going on with someone. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah. huge. That's yeah. such an important message. And I think for our audience, our listeners to receive that. Of course, something that I'm sure you're sharing with your daughter. And then your son who's coming will get that as well. So we wanna also hear, you know, we start by asking what's the most beautiful thing about you today. And then we end with asking guests, what do you want your beauty legacy to be? What do you want to hand down the messaging or uh, what you envision your, yeah, legacy around beauty?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. (laughs) Um, I think it's more like, you know, like embrace diversity. I think that's huge. Um, Something can be beautiful, like no matter what, you know, It you don't have to fit into what other people think that beauty needs to look or feel or act like, even from a physical inner beauty perspective, like you decide. Um, I think for my kids, I try to definitely harp on that for them. Like if I'm leaving a legacy behind and they're kind of um picking up on it, it's like, it's okay to be different and it's okay to do things differently. Just that everything doesn't have to look the same, be the same.
1: That's, thank you so much. That's so beautiful, Francesca. I love that. Thanks, Francesca.
0: Um, So where as we wrap up, where can people find you and follow you? Um, this this episode is going to come out a little later, so we'll have everything. Like if you have any events you can find in the show notes, but tell um, everyone where people can find you and where you're based and if they want to get to know more about you and your work. Yeah.
2: So I'm mostly on Instagram because that's all I can handle. <laughs> um. <laughs> So I'm at Acu with Francesca, and then Alma Accu Philly, I'm also popping in on there too, and I'm in Philadelphia, and I feel like I have various events come up, but I am not as, you know, you guys, like, do so much, and like, should I do, like, if you guys have other businesses, and, like, I don't, I don't have that, and I don't know how they do it all, they're amazing. <laughs>
0: I don't know how oh. Paige does it because she has like a kid and she has a husband, and like
2: <laughs> you guys are both a you big guys dog.
0: Are both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this was so good to like just get to sit down and finally chat with you because it's like I've never even met Paige, you know, and like this is how we started our podcast, because it's like I feel like I meet such cool people on Instagram, but we never get the chance to just sit down and talk and get to know one another. And, you know, the times that we're doing stuff, it's usually like a collaboration. So it was just so nice to like hear how you grew up and like just know more about you. And as a person behind Alma acupuncture, behind this acupuncturist, but just get to know Francesca. So thank you so much for Mm -hmm. chatting
1: with us today. Yes, thank thank you. Okay, bye Francesca. Alright, bye. bye. Well, that's it for today. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and share it with your friends. You can follow us on Instagram at Beauty as a birthright and say hello. If you're interested in learning more about Taoist face reading, head over to elementalarchetypes.com and follow Dr. Tamson on Instagram at elementalarchetypes. If you like to explore beauty through your own hands, you can visit yangface.com. You may also explore Paige's Instagram at yang.face for tutorials, Chinese medicine theory, and candid thoughts on cultural appreciation.